and thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. God is so good. He loves his kids. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you this morning about identity and uh, just share a little bit of how that's, I'm, I'm just going to leave it up to this iPad to open up. I'm still getting used to that swipe thing. Um, I, I want to start with uh, Genesis chapter 12. We can go there uh, quickly. It's, how many of you know it's going to be a beautiful day today? It already is. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord. We might break a temperature record today, which is going to be real nice. I'll take it. Uh, this, as far as I'm concerned, is better than snow. Sorry, you like snow, but I like this better. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I want to talk about uh, this family blessing that we carry inside of us. It's, it's an amazing thing when you, uh, when you consider that there, there might be a few of us in here that are of Jewish heritage. How many of you are Jewish heritage? You have Jewish heritage. Just lift your hand so I can see them if you're out there. So we've got some over here. You have some Jewish lineage and heritage in you. And it's an amazing thing because uh, God called Abram before Abram was a Jew. Well, how many of you understand that? But Abram was not Jewish. Did you guys know that? We can assume that we might think he was, but he wasn't. And God calls him and he says, come out, of, come out of the country that you're in, come out of your father's house, come away from all your relatives, and I'm going to show you, I'm going to uh, tell you to go to a place and I'm going to tell you to go. And I can imagine as he's packing his belongings, which were probably very few, and he's walking out his city gate, he's walking past the walls, going into the city gate, he has no idea where he's going. He has started a faith journey. It's a journey that's going to lead him into a lot of different nations and into a lot of different places in the land that he lived in. Later on, the Lord promised to Abram, everywhere that your foot treads is going to be your land. I'm going to give it to your descendants. An amazing covenant that God makes with Abraham. And he begins to go on this journey with God. And there's many twists and turns with this journey as he's going along with God, just listening to God and taking steps and just walking and taking steps and not knowing where the next place is going to go, just taking steps and following the Lord and listening to his voice. And I feel like there's a prophetic element to this. That <laughs> Wake up. I feel like there's a, I might have to preach without this thing. No, Lord, please, no. <laughs> um, so he, he actually, the Lord actually says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
And I think what's so exciting about this is that God is calling Abram away from his own family, and he's going to make a new family from him. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through this one single man. And how many of you know that I feel like what God was doing right there is he was causing a paradigm shift to come to all of humanity through one man who was willing to trust and walk it out with God. I think it's amazing. He had, Abram had no one that he could depend on to teach him how to hear God. No one. They were in a polytheistic society where they worshipped a God for everything. They had a God for the harvest, a God for uh, bugs. They had a God just about for everything. They had little idols, stone idols that they would keep in the house. And some of the household idols would stay there and they would pray to them and worship them and made out of rocks and stone. Abraham was growing up in that society, and all of a sudden, you have, to, you have to just picture this. All of a sudden, he's in this culture that has no grid for a personal God. No grid at all. No grid for having a God talk back to them. And all of a sudden, he hears, leave your family and go to a place that I will show you. And he does. And because he did, it was credited to him as righteousness. And that righteousness has gone throughout the generations to all people. I think what's so amazing is that the nations can consider Abraham their father, but only the Jewish people can consider Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob their fathers. So there's like, as Abram goes, he, he's going out, and now Isaac gets born, and we know the story, how long it took for Isaac to be born, and then as Isaac gets born, we've got uh, Jacob and Esau that get born, and then Joseph, and it just goes right on down. And then by the time we get to Moses, we have a whole nation that's developed, and they're in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And this nation is out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not just Abraham. You guys understand what I'm saying? He's the father of the nations, and yet Isaac and Jacob are the father of the Jews, of the Jewish people. And these people grow up in that lineage, and, and we, uh, you know, we, we know that uh, what took place back when uh, Abel and Cain, you know, when, when God... Uh, I'm, I'm really scattered here today. Okay, so when Genesis and God, when he made man in his image, is what I want to say, and then you've got Cain... And you've got Abel, and you have two lines that are going there, and Cain kills Abel, wipes out the righteous lineage uh, right from the very get-go, and then Cain goes off into a city, and his uh, evil, the evil that was in his heart to murder, begins to get passed on to his lineage, his generation, so that you actually have one line that gets wiped out, and then it wasn't until Seth was born from Adam and Eve that a new righteous lineage was developed. And that righteous lineage, it, it, it began to de- decrease. So that by the time Noah comes on the scene, when Noah comes on the scene, we see that there's uh, evil and wickedness all on the face of the earth. That uh, there's only one person that finds favor in the eyes of the Lord, and his name is Noah. And that is out of the lineage of Seth. So we've got basically Noah who descends from the lineage of Seth. We've got Cain's lineage, and there's wickedness increasing, increasing, increasing. It's just going all throughout the face of the earth. And so when the floods come, there's only one person and his family that make it through the flood, and that's Noah, uh, Seth's lineage of righteousness. 
And then it doesn't take long, sadly, it doesn't take long. It almost seems like as soon as Noah gets off the boat in the flood, it almost seems like there's a, a decline in the lineage. It, it just like they, they start to slide away from God. They start to lose that connection that they had with God as a righteous people. And so we see this taking place until Moses comes on the scene. Moses comes on the scene, and when Moses comes on the scene, he, he uh, you know, takes the nation out of slavery, and there's covenants and there's commandments that are given by God to the Jewish people. And these people begin to have their own story now through many of the examples. I wonder, does anybody have a Bible that's a real Bible? Not one of these things. Anybody have a Bible here that's not like even? Thank you. Okay, thanks. Here, I'll, my, Bob's not using his, so I'll use this. <laughs> oh, that was a nice slide in right there, wasn't it? That's okay, Bob, I love you, you know that. Um, I, I, I would say that uh, the Jewish people have a heritage and a lineage in this book. I was going to do this because this is where my Bible is, but some of you might think I'm talking about Facebook and Twitter. Wouldn't be a good thing. This, this book has a lineage of the Jewish people and the historical events that took place and actually is so valuable for us as a church that we actually get to read the stories of men and women of faith in, these, in this book to see how men and women of faith dealt with the challenges that, they, that came at them when they were born in their times. So this Bible, this beautiful written record, allows us to be able to look at how people of faith live. And it allows us to understand how we can live in this earth, on this earth. And walk through the many challenges that come our way. I don't think a lot of believers today understand the value that's in this book. And I don't think they understand it because they just think, well, that's Jewish history. Jesus comes on the, on the earth. Moses does this whole law thing. Then we've got judges, we've got kings, we've got um, prophets, and we've got people all throughout the Old Covenant that are just doing great things. I mean, Elijah and Elisha. I mean, I would have loved to walk with those guys. Seriously. You know, my axe head fell into the lake. Bring me a stick. Throws the stick out and the axe head floats. That's a pretty cool miracle. Anyway, there's a lot of those stories in there that are like that. You've got Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Daniel. The list goes on and on. And these, these stories belong to the Jewish people who were God's people, his chosen people. And, and they just... They kept a record of all these stories because they wanted these stories to be passed on to generation to generation to generation. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he didn't come to to scratch away the Jewish nationality. He came to take that which the Jewish people had and give it to the Gentiles. So that we were actually grafted in, as Paul says, we were grafted in into a new covenant along with the Jewish people, so that the stories that the, Jews, the Jewish people had now become our stories. They become our heritage. And it's all because of a word that God spoke to Abram. I'm going to bless the nations through you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And this is what's so valuable about this, and what's so incredible about this, is that Jesus comes and he is the Son of God, and He comes as the Lamb of God, 
John the Baptist introduced him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole earth. How many of you know that's a great introduction? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole earth. And what's it mean? It means that Jesus is now coming to establish one big happy family. He's coming to take the Jewish people who were the people of God, and he's coming to marry that into the Gentile heritage, which um, were lost for so many uh, centuries. And he's marrying those two together, and he's bringing them into union with himself, as Stephen was saying earlier, that we were included with him in uh, in his death and in his resurrection. And now we've been seated with him in heavenly places. So what this means is that this means that he comes, he's a symbolic offering of God. He's basically the, the offering that takes away the sin of the whole earth. And he comes to join us together. And now he's got his followers and they're, they're like walking along with him. He's teaching them. He's training them how to hear the father, how to release the, uh, you know, heaven upon the earth, how to, how to do the stuff. All right. He's teaching them all these things that he knows when he leaves, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon them in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 10, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon the Gentiles as well. It's the first time we have a full Gentile meeting where the Gentiles are included in the heritage of the children of God. And now we come to our present day where we are called the family of God. We have a heritage from Abram. He is, he is the one who has established us in faith. Paul writes this. He catches a revelation of Abraham. And he basically says, those who are in faith come from the seed of Abraham. Abraham is now our father. We now have a lineage tied directly to Abraham. We now have a lineage tied directly to the Jewish people through Jesus Christ, because he grafted us into the root of Jesse. I, I don't think we get it. I think somehow, as, as New Covenant people, we, we somehow think we're independent of what was there. But we're not. See, the the church is not just a group of friendly people who gather together a couple times each week and we all smile and we all look great and then we go home and act like devils for the rest of the week until we come back together and then we just, oh, it's not the church. The church is not us. The church is Him. He is the head. We are the body. It's not about a building. It's not about um, activities. Buildings and activities do not give the church their identity. Jesus Christ gives the church their identity. You see, this this is what's exciting about the church. Is you and I are the church. We are the I am of God, the people of God. He's brought us into union with Him. And that makes a church. Now, how many of you come from a large family? 
And I don't mean just immediately, like, but you come from a large family, a large extended family even, right? A lot of us, and most of us probably in here come from large families. Now, how many of you get along with all your siblings? How many get along with all your uncles, all your nieces, all your aunts? Have you ever seen any conflict in your... Have there ever played any dynamics, family dynamics that you'd rather want to get away from? This is what happens. This is what happens in the church. It's what happens with people. You, you see, because Jesus is the church. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. But the church, as soon as you pull the component of the church into a community, into a family, you start having family dynamics. And then when it gets more specific into a, a location like we're at, where we're, we're all sitting together and we're all masked up and we're all <laughs> social distanced, right? So we're all together. We're all gathered together in the community. We're here together. And then there's a dynamic that comes into play where we need to look at, we need to look at our identity for who we are and what we are. And it's not about what we do. It's about what he's already done. And we have inherited something that he's given to us. We have not done anything to get that. We did nothing to become the church. He did it all. He chose us in him before the foundations of the earth were even laid. He chose the church. He picked the church. He ordained the church. He anointed the church. The church isn't God. The church is the I am of God. In other words, the personification of God. Are you guys getting this? It's like when you, when you leave out this door, you're still the church. When you go shopping at Home Depot, you're still the church. You're the personification of God. It's like the world is looking at you. They're looking at you. They're watching you. Don't think they're not watching. Don't think your neighbors don't watch you leave your driveway every Sunday morning. They watch. They know you're going somewhere. They might not know exactly where it is, but they probably already figured out those guys go to church every Sunday. And within that figuring out, there's a question mark that they might be having in their head. What in the world do they do every Sunday? Don't, why don't they sleep in, you know, why don't they just take it easy and relax on Sunday? Whatever, you know, what are they doing? What are they doing? And, and they're like looking at the church and they're trying to figure out what the church is, what the church is all about. And we, we actually live in a day where, where in some sections of our country, even today, the church is not even an essential thing. It's no longer even relative and essential to a lot of people. And so a lot of people are looking at it going, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. You know, when we had this, when we had this pandemic, I mean, pandemic, when we had that erupt in us, you know, you basically had this whole, you know, thing, you got to shut down, you got to, you know, close it down, close everything down. And, and we're like, is this even like constitutional? Can they tell us to do this? I mean, is it, you know, okay, fine. We got like this virus that's spreading out there and stuff like that. And I mean, what's going on? And all these questions are in our mind, you know, and it's like, I don't know about you, but. I did not like being here alone in this building with no people in it, standing in front of a camera that at that time was placed right here in front of the platform, and you're my audience, that little black cell phone. We, we coped. We got through it. But it wasn't the same. And it's not meant to be the same. It's, it's, 
It's something that's far more powerful than that. The church is the ecclesia. It's the, the priesthood. The church is the exousia, which is those who carry authority from on high. We are walking on this earth to bring heaven here to earth. We are the church chosen by God. Not just to have a bunch of activities and programs. We are the church chosen by God to allow people to bump into the kingdom of heaven who don't understand it. Who allow people to bump into us who aren't on the outside, so to speak, in a sense that they're, you know, we're better than them or they're aliens to us or whatever. It's not that. It's so that when they bump into us, they're bumping into God's presence. It's like the presence of the Lord is like flowing in us. You guys get it? You're, you're the people of God. You're the representatives. You. Little old you, like Randy Clark says. Your attitude's on display. Your, your, uh, everything about you goes on display. It's like people are watching you. Now, What this means is that we are a family, and we're not a perfect family, are we? But yet, tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. What's up with that? The, the reality is, if you, have, if you have formed some kind of a negative opinion about the church, even if it's in the simplest form of negativity, if you form a negative thought about the church... Because you see people, and you see people in the church, and those people might not be living the way you think they should be living. They might not be acting the way you think they should be acting. Then you can start forming a negative opinion about your church. And as soon as you start to form a negative opinion about your church, you have now lost the identity of who the church is. Because you've now reduced the church to people and their imperfections instead of looking at the church for who the church really is, the I am of God. We didn't create the church, you guys. Do you understand that? We didn't create it. It wasn't like our idea. Well, I think we'll just become the church. Didn't wake up one morning and think, I think I'm just going to become the church today. It's God's idea. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the earth were even He chose us. He predestined us to be like this. And every generation that since the time of Christ and since the disciples, since they were raised up to plant the church and since they were raised up to minister to the people around them, every generation has seen the church go through different crises, different situations, different experiences, different uh, times within the centuries. And they've, they've been there. They haven't always been perfect. They haven't always done things perfect. They haven't always believed the right perfect things. But they are still the church. They are, they are God's organization, if you will. We are His. We belong to Him. It's, I, I love what Mitch's word was, you know, where he stands up and he says, how many of you felt like you missed an opportunity in the last couple of weeks? Like you should have been, you should have stepped out, you should have done something, right? And you can, you can uh, begin, uh, you know, you can begin to hear the shame and the guilt come firing at you. You missed that opportunity. What's the matter with you? What's, you know, you lame brain, what's going on? You know, and you can get a negative opinion about yourself. And as soon as you do that, you've lost your identity for who you are as a church. 
Our identity is in Him. It's rooted in Him. It's who we are. You can never lose sight of that. Don't put the church's identity in people. You will fail every time. You will miss it. This was the beginning of the grafted in. And now we're grafted in and we're grafted into an inheritance. We're grafted into halls of faith of the Jewish people. You think about this. You think about Daniel thrown into the lion's den because he prayed. What was that? That was a world system who said, we don't want you to pray. We don't want you to talk to God. Any other, any other God that you pray to, you will go into the lion's den. Okay, that's the system. It's, it's like putting pressure on who the church was. And at that time, the church was limited to four guys. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so it's a, the, the, they're putting pressure, okay? The world is putting pressure on the church. Pressure, pressure, pressure. You need to perform the way we tell you to perform. And Daniel's saying, I can't. I can't do that because that's not who I am, because that's not who he made me to be. Perfect identity. Identity rested right in God. Identity that rested right in trusting in the Lord. And he still follows through on his daily habit of praying three times a day, facing, but with, facing out the windows. And they see him, and they come, and they arrest him, and they throw him in the lion's den. And we know the story. The lions didn't touch him. They didn't eat him. And he, the king was so glad, he pulls him out of there, and uh, then he, you know, nice king that he was, he threw in the guys that told on Daniel. And they had a feast. The lions, I mean. And we didn't create the church. We were given an opportunity to be the church. And this is an opportunity that we have. We are the church of the firstborn. Ephesians chapter 3 says this, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. See, it's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. We have been given something. This is something that we've been given. It's not something we've taken. It's not something we've created. It's something that we've been given. And we have a stewardship thing that we need to steward the church properly. And if we don't have the right identity with who the church is and what the church is about, then we're not going to steward it properly. We're going to steward it with programs, administrative stuff, and there's going to be all this other stuff that's going on. And we lose connection, as Bob so uh, conveniently has told me multiple times. We need to sound like a family and look like a family. And it's true. And at the same time, in that in that looking, look at a broader family, a bigger family, and realize that there are some aunts and uncles that are going to tick you off a little bit. Maybe some cousins and some nephews and some nieces that you might like be going, man, what the heck? You know, I mean, if you take a look at the church overall, it's like, do we even have the same progeny? Do we even have it? How, how did they get here? <laughs> I'll tell you how they got here. He who formed us out of the rock, Jesus Christ. That's how we get here. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own works, lest no one can boast. That's the church. See, the error that so many are trying to make. I've heard speakers talk down about the church. I've, I've YouTube videos, various other uh, speakers, you know, who are 
called evangelists or whatever, and they talk negative about the church. As soon as you try to, as soon as you try to form a negative, as soon as you try to form an identity of the church through a negative statement, you've missed the mark already. You're on the wrong track. You're looking at the wrong thing about church. I remember years ago when I first got saved and I started reading and I, I got into the, the place of the body of Christ and how we're called the bride of Christ, right? So it's like I'm thinking of the bride of Christ. And I, I had, um, uh, let's see, I think it's not when I first got saved, but after I got married, the bride of Christ took on a whole new meaning to me because I was now married and I had a bride. Before I got married, I didn't understand the bride thing. After I got married, I understood the bride thing. The thing about the bride thing is, this is the thing about the bride thing. The thing about the bride thing is that you're now in a relationship. (laughs) Thanks for smiling, Fran. That makes you feel good. You're now in a relationship where you have to learn things about the other person. You're not just walking alone. You're walking together, and you're learning, and you're developing, you're growing. And with my new bride, I was learning, developing, growing, and um, I remember one time where the place that I used to work was in a very nice place. Well, I mean, it was a nice place to work, but there were some pretty rough characters in there. And, and someone mistakenly insulted my wife in, in very bad light. And something in me that I'd never experienced before, something in me rose, an anger rose, and this wanting to rip a guy's head off his shoulders, suddenly appeared inside of me. And I looked right at him and said, you ever say anything like that about my bride again, I will deck you right here on the spot. Thank you, thank you. That's how Jesus feels about his church. When you criticize the church, you're criticizing his bride. say, well, is Jesus going to deck me? I hope not. But I don't know about you. I don't want to criticize his bride. This is his idea. You understand? It's not our idea. We have a lot of ideas. There's a lot of different churches. There's a multitude of siblings out there. But this is his idea. And as we said in the beginning of 2020, Unity is a big deal this year. It's a huge deal. We weren't expecting COVID at that time. We were just saying, I believe this is going to be a year of unity. We got challenged on every, every form about unity. And yet I still hold to that word. I believe this is a year of unity. I believe we are going to be united as a church. That there, there are already... Churches coming together. In some cases, because of COVID, some cases, pastors never talk to each other and the people never bumped into each other. But there are things that are happening that are good within the church right now. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. 
And now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. When, when I was reading this, it like tied together in me. It's like, this is Paul, he's writing, and what he's doing is he's explaining to the Gentile church, because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He's explaining to the Gentile church, you guys were once on the outside looking in, but God grafted you, now you're in. Now you're in. And he's saying, remember. It's a very important word. Therefore, remember. He's saying, remember what it was like when you were on the outside looking in. How confused were you? It's like, it might be like, I, I don't know if, it, there might be some of you that never watched a football game in here. I don't know. Has anybody never watched a football game in here? Probably, you've all, probably all watched it. But imagine watching a football game for the first time and trying to understand that game with nobody instructing you through it, what is happening. And you're looking and you're seeing a brown leather ball flying through the air and then you're seeing people jump on top of the guy that has that ball. And you have no idea what's going on. You're just watching this thing and it keeps going back and forth, keeps changing. Someone else from the other side picks off the ball and they start running, they get tackled. And it's like as confusing as rugby, I guess, for the first time. You just like, what is really going on? These guys are just beating on each other. That's about the extent of it. And that's how a lot of outside people can view the church. The church beating on each other, beating up each other, trying to tackle each other. We recently had a church in the area who uh, had an outbreak of COVID in their congregation, and I was surprised at how many believers attacked that church. What do we think we're doing? I don't know, but if you look at that, if you look at that and get confused about who the church is, if you gain your identity through what other churches are doing, you're missing who we are. You're missing the whole component here. This is not about us competing with other churches in the area. It's not about us thinking we're better than other churches in the area. It's not about us feeling like our worship is far greater than the other churches in the area. It's not about us thinking our preaching is far better than... <laughs> I know, Bob. But it's like we, our identity comes from who we are in Him, not what we do and what we've made. And that's what we have to stay focused on. You understand what I'm saying? It would be like... It would be like if you looked at one of your cousins and they did something terrible and you just say, he's no longer in my family. You can't undo what is. And because you can't undo what is, you need to work with what is and see what you can do to unite and help and become a benefit. That's what we're called to do. goes on, verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the, Christ, through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
This is incredible. This is what has happened. The entire Gentile nation who was a stranger to the Jewish heritage, to the life of faith, they didn't have faith models to look at. Okay? The, the Gentile people couldn't go back into their history and find faith people. Jesus comes along and grafts them in to the inheritance of the Jewish people. And now those wonderful stories of people filled with faith now become our heritage. They become a part of us. We get to go there and we get to explore how they walked and how they lived and how they carried things forward with God, how they listened to God, how they heard from God. This is why we we offer up healing ministries within our our church here, where we have the sozo ministry. We've had so many people just say, I I can't hear God talk to me. I just never heard him talk to me. I try, I pray, and I, you know, I, I listen, and I wait, but I never hear him speak to me. And we found out in our sozo ministries that there's usually a block of some kind, whether it's an emotional block, or whether it's a spiritual block, or whether it's a, a, something that's in their family upbringing, or whatever it is, there's some kind of block there hindering them from hearing God. And when the Holy Spirit reveals what that block is, he lifts that block out, And people start hearing from God. We have seen this multiple times. It happens on a repeated basis. We've had people have sozos, and they go to sozos and say, I I try to pray for the sick, but when I pray for the sick, nobody ever gets healed. Get a sozo. Have a sozo. Get it worked out. There's something blocking you from your inheritance. You understand? You and I are rooted in Jesus Christ. He said that the church will do greater things than he did. That's our identity. Who he is. Christ in us. The hope of glory. You guys okay? Got time for one more verse? It's actually about five or six verses, but I'll go for it anyway. Hebrews chapter 12. So what we have is we've got this whole mix now thrown in. We've got the Gentiles mixed with the Jewish people. coming into the church as a body of Christ. We've got this whole mixture now coming in, and the Gentiles are able to secure the history of the Jewish people as their own, and they're able to see the stories of faith that are are there, um, you know, uh, for themselves. They they can grab this now. When we were strangers and aliens, we didn't didn't have any of that. Now we've been brought in. Now we have this, okay? So then the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 12, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to the blackness and darkness and tempest. I I wish a lot of Christians would hang on to this verse. Blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches a mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Now I want you to understand something. What he's saying here in Hebrews 12 is he's saying, you've not come to that mountain. You don't have to be fearful and trembling with God. You've come to a different mountain. That's, that's 
really incredible because we just laid this whole foundation of how God took the Gentiles and the Jews, married them together into one family. And now the writer of Hebrews is using a, a, a Jewish story of Moses and how he was fearful to even stand in the presence of the Lord, how he, he dreaded he dreaded himself the dark cloud and the, the mountain that was burning and on fire. And he was like there in that moment at that time. Okay? And he's like seeing this. And, and so the writer of Hebrews is saying, we've not come to that mountain. We're not like Moses, trembling, not you know, being so fearful we can't get close to God. He's saying, we are the people of God. We are close to God. He is in us. He is with us. And he will not leave us or forsake us, just as he has promised. We're not left alone because we didn't come to the mountain where you could be left alone or where you could be stoned or killed if you got too close. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Whoa, is that a mouthful? That's what we've come to, better things. We are the people of God. Can we stand up together? We are the people of God. We've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. I don't know how many of you can see in the Spirit. I don't know how many of you have ever seen angels. I've seen them. They're very exciting to see. I haven't seen one in a while, but just about every Sunday, I would say almost just about every Sunday, I have actually felt their presence here in this room. That's what we've come to. We've come to an assembly of angels. There's an angel standing right behind me. He is so much on fire that my back is burning. My back is sweating. That's how I know he's there. And it's like, I could turn and look at him right now. I don't see him, but I know he's there. And Jesus is there the same way. He's tangible. We can experience him. We don't have to walk this Christian faith alone. We don't have to go through this life not hearing God. You can hear him. You can feel him. You can see him. He is made to be in contact with us because we're the church. We're his people, the church of the firstborn. We are made to have that sort of union with him. You and I don't have to do this alone. And if we try to do it alone, we've lost our identity. We've missed the identity of who we are. And we think church is something that we do. But you and I, each of us, it's why I love gathering together on Sunday mornings during the worship. I can feel the presence of God come in the room. I can, I can almost like feel the angels gathered around getting excited. Because the people of God are gathered. Do you understand that it's the church that's going to keep the name of Jesus Christ alive on the face of this earth? The world won't do it. They won't care. They can't see it. They cannot even comprehend the value of the church. You can't expect them to understand us. You can't even expect them to like us. They can't see it. They don't get it. But we are the church. 
We are the I am of God. You and I carry him in this world to bring the transformation and make the difference. So that whenever someone calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And whenever they call on the name of the Lord, chances are real good they bumped up against a Christian who started the process. That's you. That's who we are. We're change agents. Like my wife spoke last week, we are the government of God. He is on our shoulders. We bear him, we carry him, and we reign with him. We sit with him in the heavenly places to reign, to make decisions that the kingdom of heaven advance on the face of the earth. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about this because this is like, yeah, we get to change things. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for the church. I thank you that it's your idea, Lord, that you're the one that raised up the church and called the church. And you're the one who birthed the church. And you're the one who appointed administrators over the church, apostles that would carry the mission. You're the one, God, that put us together in a family. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you so much. And I value who we are as your people. I value This wonderful people standing right now agreeing with me in this prayer. I value who they are. They are your children. They are your people. They are the powerful ones who walk in the earth. The ones who remember who you are. The ones who remember your name. And the ones who remember what you gave us. Bless them. Let joy fill their hearts this week. God, let them just be overflowing with joy. I pray for any disparity and any worry that there might be. I pray, Jesus, that you would just give us peace. And we get to rest in you. And we get to have peace. (laughs) Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org.